This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Get things going. Thursday edition of Sportsnet today. Logan Gordon along with you on a Calgary Flames game day. Flames with the first of three matchups at home starting tonight against the Detroit Red Wings. A team that uh, you saw on this day last week. Defeat the Calgary Flames by a 2-1 score. Calgary heavily outshoot the Detroit Red Wings. 36-17 in that game. 0 for 3 on the power play. And Philip Zadina's first of the season. 5-51 in period 3 was the difference in that game. Calgary will look to flip the script tonight. And get a much-needed two points against the Detroit Red Wings. We're coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in beautiful Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Outstanding production team of Cam and soon-to-be Taylor running the ship today. we got lots to get you on the program. We'll chat with Peter Labardius in just moments to get you set for the Flames and the Red Wings. Thursday means, of course, a chat with our... NHL Network and MLB Network pal Adnan Verk. Plus, we'll head back to the Saddle Dome here from head coach Daryl Sutter and others on this Calgary Flames game day. Well, let's kick things off like we always do. Heading down the Atlas Beats and Sports Bar guest hotline, saying hello to the color voice of the Calgary Flames here on Sportsnet 960. He is Peter Labardius, and he joins us courtesy of the Gemini Group Home Renovations. The Gemini Group knows your home renovations. This should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. Now offering air miles, reward miles. Visit them at thegeminigroup.ca. Good afternoon, Lou. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm about to do a home game today. So that uh, has not occurred since the 27th of January, three weeks ago, exactly, as even the head coach pointed out today when asked about being at home. So uh, looking forward to it and looking forward to seeing um, one Detroit Red Wing again in person who I just think is a superb young player and I think in many ways Logan um, as big a building piece as Steve Iserman has uh, we'll hear Daryl's thoughts on what Mr. Iserman is trying to do um, in his newest place to be a general manager of a team and and that gentleman is Moritz Seider the player from Germany um, plays a lot plays so hard uh, you know, really the type of guy in many ways to build a franchise around in part. So they, no doubt, the reigning rookie of the year, have a number one defenseman in the fold, and they will for a long time. Uh, Flames and Red Wings, second time in uh, a week span that we'll see these two teams. I mentioned uh, some of the key stats from last game coming in, Lou, but what stood out to you in that game in Detroit last week that the Flames will want to avoid if they want to pick up two points tonight? 
Well, I don't think their work and compete was at a high enough level against the Detroit team that, um, again, I don't want to spoil what Daryl says, so maybe we'll just kind of reverse how I was going to go in that regard. Um, you know, they're they're very Tampa-esque. They're not in that category yet, but that's that's the thought process. And obviously, you know, the guy who built one team is trying to build another perennial contender and he's got a ways to go but uh they they played harder i didn't think the flames gave them very much but again they didn't generate very much in that game you know unlike the three other games on the road trip which i you know really liked in terms of their overall play the results didn't always work out, as we know, in New York and then again in their last game in Ottawa on Monday. But I sure liked the process, and I sure liked how they played because I thought, you know, really outside of a couple of minutes for five periods in a row, that is some of the finest Flames hockey in terms of how they have to play to be successful in order to be successful. But they weren't successful. So here is the head coach on... Dealing, I asked it this way because I noticed yesterday Flames did a lot of drills in regards, Logan, to regroups, um, transition, and trying to break through Detroit's, which can be pretty stingy in controlled breakouts, more of dealing with a 1-3-1 through the middle. And here was Daryl's answer to dealing better a week later against Detroit. You know, with their coaching staff and with Steve coming here, they're they are a Tampa clone, right? And it's not just about neutral zone. They're gonna, for lack of a better term, they're gonna work the shit out of you, right? And you're not ready to work with them. And they play a physical, hard game just like Tampa does, which it's it's uh, caught some of our players by surprise last game. Well, that laid it out beautifully. Um, yeah, they can work the ass out of you for sure. And I thought that was the difference. And remember, that game was 1-1, and the Flames made a bad decision on their own in the neutral zone. And then one player uh, who has not been playing, by and large, ever since, uh, who was centering that particular shift, maybe didn't track well enough back, and they ended up with a two-on-one in Philip Zadina's first of the year in the third, which ended up being the winner. But, you know, this is a team now they're missing Lucas Raymond, but there's some there's some great building blocks in Detroit, and they play hard. And they're going to play hard tonight. And, you know, against teams like Detroit, that has been somewhat in question. And look again last night. You think the Oilers felt like they left one on the table, Logan, last night? Yeah, probably. They Sure they did. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons they got in trouble last night, they did pour it on to make sure that they got a point, but they weren't really ready to go early, and they didn't match what Detroit brought at them in terms of work, and they found themselves trailing all night. Now, I know it wasn't, again, Jack Campbell's best night after you know going on a real great streak, his best as an oiler, but... A lot of it boiled down to your will and your compete and how hard they played. And so they they are a team that, unlike Calgary, is better built to come from behind. They got on a roll. They tied the game 
you know, on a interesting redirect by former Flame Derek Ryan. And it, again, what kick started it for them? They got a power play goal, and that kick started everything in the third period. So, I I, I love watching. You know, in the East right now, and they're all in the same division. Love Buffalo. Like watching this team and, and Ottawa to me. So all three of those Atlantic teams that I think are slowly but surely putting great building blocks together, I find those teams some of my favorite to watch, especially when I get to do it in person like I will tonight. Yeah, and I guess you could probably even throw Montreal in that most years. They're just going through a, a tough year with a lot of injuries, but they've got some pieces there too. Oh, that for are sure. I agree. Incredibly um, talented. Well, they, they have, yeah. I, I don't think there is in good a shape in the area that I'm always most concerned about, and that's generally on the back. back end, yeah. Yeah. I just, again, you know how I feel about it. It's pretty hard in this league to win without a really good top four. And you take a look at Detroit, again, just for a second. You know, Philip Ronick's a pretty underrated puck-moving guy. Ole Matta just you know, signed a new two-year extension today. And who's their top pairing? Ben Sherratt and Moritz Sider. You think those two guys are any fun to play against? No, sir. What was the driving force between Montreal's run to the Stanley Cup final? Two things, goaltending and a miserable top four to deal with. Mm-hmm. So it matters. Yeah. And on the topic of top fours and number four, <laughs> let's let's maybe get to the place that yes. uh, might be the biggest news story where the Flames are concerned. Yeah, we're expecting Rasmus Anderson to re-enter the Flames lineup tonight. Uh, we'll go to uh, head coach Daryl Sutter, who didn't expressly confirm it, but said he's been cleared medically. He was going to have a chat with Rasmus. We're expecting him to play tonight. Here's what Daryl had to say. Uh, when he met with the media earlier today and took questions on Ras. How's uh, Rasmus looking out there? Uh, well, you know what, it's just every day. It's kind of medically cleared and all that. It's just kind of his call now. Does that mean tonight might be an option for him or no? Yeah, it might be an option, but I kind of said I didn't talk to him. I just went off yesterday's report and then see what he says after. Well, if you watch when guys come off the ice, which both Derek and Pat were doing, um, he came off at an appropriate time to play. Uh, I'm even wondering, because Dennis Gilbert didn't, you know, follow too far behind, there might be an option for the Flames with Rasmus, you know, coming off a pretty traumatic situation in his life, which... To my knowledge, he still hasn't addressed the media about, and I'm sure will at some point, maybe even tonight. Maybe you'll be the first in line, Logan, for for that little venture, Possibly, if indeed yeah. he does play. So great to have him back. Um, and again, in one of my favorite terms, slotting. You uh, you know, I talked about Mo Sider off the top and staying in the same theme, the Flames' number one guy. And... It's it's not that they didn't play well. They played pretty well in those games without him. But it changes everything for everybody. And that's the thing that can't get missed. It it taxes your other people with more minutes than probably where they're best suited. And even Rasmus is this is a year where, 
you know, his game has grown and he's added a couple of more minutes a night. And he's added them because he's deserved to add them. He's 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 played really well this season. Um, I I've seen some real great growth. You know, when Daryl talks all the time about, you know, that young group of twenty three to twenty nine year olds being, you know, the most important group. And I agree. And I always have. And he's a guy this year for me who's on the right side of that ledger. So it'd be great to see him back. Um, you know, it was in Detroit where he suffered his accident on the scooter when he was hit by a car in a crosswalk. So would be great to have him back and, and hope he's okay and couldn't come at a better time for this team to certainly be able to have everybody they'd like and everybody they'd like in the positions they'd like them have him in. They didn't only didn't even really get any more than one game in the yeah. new look power plays, right? With yep. with him on board, because then he was hurt and missed, you know, the last three of the trips. So big ad if indeed he plays. And the great news is, if it isn't tonight, um, can't imagine that he wouldn't be available for Saturday against the Rangers. And just to that point, Peter, you know, I don't think the Flames at any time this season have had. Uh, you know, it, it varies so much because there's been some Tanev injuries in there. But, I mean, for the most part, every time that they're talking about, you know, their best six guys that they're ready to go, whether it's been Tanev or it's been Anderson, it's it's been a mixed bag. They always haven't had the top six that no. they've wanted out there. And tonight could be the start of that, fingers crossed, for an extended period of time when this group really needs it. Well, and this group does really need it. Absolutely. And, you know, despite all of that, and the Shillington story, and all of it, you know, this team, for the most part, has done a pretty good job all year long in terms of what they give up. Now, for me, the eye test, even though the numbers don't back it up, and I just looked it up, you know, if you're if you're a big fan of the high danger chances, at least the ones kept by natural statric, the Flames are actually third in the league, in what they've given up. But there have seemed to me, Logan, and maybe you see it different, it'd be great if you did, or not, doesn't matter. Um, It does feel, even in games where this team might give up 17 to 22 or 23 shots, that there are nights where, of those shots, there's more quality ones than the ratio might indicate sometimes. So... That's how it feels. That's how it seems. Um, but yes, despite all of that, they've they've managed pretty well. Yeah, given how many different guys they've had to throw in and guys that were, what are we talking, seven, eight, nine, maybe down the depth chart when we were originally going through lines and pairings back in training camp. Yeah, I think you've got to be pretty happy if you're Daryl Sutter that the group has come along. You've kind of figured out who your go-to guys are, and Dennis Gilbert's kind of become one of those guys for the Calgary Flames that can step up in those moments when they need it. But for the most part, we were talking about a group that's you know been put together at different times by guys they didn't have in their lineup, and we'll see how much of a difference it makes uh, for them tonight. Well, here's here's the underlying factor for me on defense, and you know, and not just because it happened in the way that it happened in their last game. But how many times this season have minutes been elevated 
for five guys or four guys because you don't feel like you can play all six in almost every situation. That hasn't been taught yet. Yes, a lot. And that, you know, and again, now the Flames have not been anywhere near the top in terms of the amount of quality opportunities that they have had, which also will tell you why while they have checked in their own zone pretty well, I think they've spent still too much time there. And depending on the groups and who's playing with who and how they're playing, I say this a lot now about this group. When their defense, you know, you know, the whole plan is to spend as little time in there as you can, and that has to do with good puck decisions and whether it's the defense or forwards not feeding the opposition an extra 20 or 30 seconds where you have to check in your own zone because you're turning pucks over or you're turning pucks over in the middle of the ice, which will be, a for me, a big point to watch tonight against the Flames' ability to move it up, get it in, get it behind, and get to work because that's when I think they're at their best. And that that stuff starts as much in the middle of the ice and in your own zone to lead to good offensive opportunities for this team as it does what they do at the other end. We're starting with the color voice of the Calgary Flames. Peter Labardius says we get set for the Flames and Red Wings tonight from the Scotiabank Saddledome. First of three games at home for the Flames over the next couple of days. They'll see New York again on Saturday. Who had uh, a pretty good game in New York uh, not that long ago. It was an okay game. Yeah, was, if you like that sort of yeah, thing. If you like entertaining hockey and emotion and passion, yeah, it was just okay. Uh, and then the Philadelphia Flyers make their lone trip to Calgary on Family Day Monday. So lots of Flames hockey coming your way right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. One other thing we wanted to talk about today, Lou, uh, Dan Vladar gets the starting goal for the Calgary Flames tonight. He has been uh, rock solid his last eight games. He's rocking a 6-1-1 record, 19 goals against, a 247 goals against, and a 905 save percentage. He's also been really good at home of late, 6-2. and two. Uh, in his last eight, he's won six straight home starts, and uh, the Flames go to their young goaltender tonight in a uh, pretty big game against Detroit. Well, they do, and I'm going to switch the angle up, though, Logan, by asking you this question. Do you think this team's goaltending has been its largest issue? No. I don't. So where would you... Where would you kind of place it, or how do you look at the overall goaltending situation for this team? I think it's been an issue. I, mm-hmm. I do. I, I can't disagree with that. But I think a lot of it t- comes down to their own defensive play in their own zone. I, I don't think in a lot of cases, whether it's been Dan or whether it's been Jacob, that they've done their goaltenders a, a lot of favors on a lot of nights, Lou. And that's that's not something that can be you know, worked out on stats. You know what I mean? You can't – it doesn't show up on a goaltender stats that, okay, this forward missed a guy on a back check and made the save that much harder for the goaltender. It's just a, it comes in as a goal against or a, a high-danger chance against, and you kind of have to live that way. So I, I think the goaltending definitely has been an issue. I think both guys would admit that they could be better and want to be better for this group. But I think as a whole – 
this team hasn't played anywhere near as well defensively in front of their goaltenders than they did even as as soon as last year. Well, I've spent a lot of time the last 48 hours thinking about it, and I'm not really far off from where you are. Now, when you investigate a little bit harder and you find out that the team at least – you know, in one way of calculating the numbers, is third in the in the league. Although, if I told you Edmonton was fourth in that category, would you believe that? <laughs> I didn't. No. But but as far as high danger chances against the Edmonton Oilers are actually fourth. Um, so here's what we can't deny: we can't deny that eight ninety three is not nine twenty two. which is what Jacob did. Now, for Jacob, in regards to his numbers, as far as lifetime is concerned, and I'm always a big believer in the averages as much as anything else, well, Jacob's career save percentage is 910, which is also not 891. And... Had a great conversation with a dear friend the other day who knows a lot about the game and, and watches it very intently and very closely and has his whole life. And, you know, I know Derek says this a lot too, and, and I'm very much on the same page. When when a goalie isn't at the top of his game, he's probably a little busier in the net than quiet and big. And Jacob's 6'6", so he's big. And he's athletic. Um, But even when Derek and I were talking about this and I wanted to share it, and also it's very much the same opinion of the friend of mine that I trust very much, is the game looks like he's trying to take himself to the game as opposed to sometimes letting it come to him. And the reason is is it comes from the greatest of place because the work is marvelous. His want to make a difference on this team is, I would think it's probably in the top five. He carries it. He wears it. Um, And, you know, the other night was just, again, one of those nights where, again, the focus all becomes on him. But then the back part of not just the Jacob part is – the team scores a lot more for Daniel Vladar. Mm-hmm. Um, so the wins and losses are better. Although, you know, Jacob's still a game over 500. It's not like he's 10 games below, you know, and he has seven overtime losses. Um, so, you know, take away even four of those. Now you're 18 and 13. That's very different. And the goals against average, you know, for one flame goalie is 293. That is Jacob. And for Mr. Vladar, it's 273. And that's 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 significant in a sense. But again, smaller work size. One guy's played in 36. The other guy's played in 20. So, yes, I, I don't think we've talked about it enough or it gets talked enough about as a tandem Rather than, you know, I always feel that when I listen in 
that it's been very much one guy has been way better than the other. Well, the one guy's been better, but I don't think you can judge them. Like, if, if you truly think one guy's the number one, then you don't get all the extra little latitude, like he's not number one, and he's not the guy, and he's never been the guy, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So do they need, I think, closer to 9-10 than you know, their third worst save percentage down the stretch? Yes, they do. They absolutely do. I can't can't deny it. I can't find arguments, backing, numbers. But I also think the part that you cannot quantify, Logan, and I think it's where you were pointing to as well, it's not just about chances against. It's about playing in all these tense, can't-breathe moments. So if your goalies never have easy nights, it's hard to relax and, like, get a breath. And 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 I think in Jacob's case, I mean, how there have been very few games this year where he could kind of, you know, hey, we're in the driver's seat, so just let me relax and do my thing. Mm-hmm. No, it's high leverage every night. Mm-hmm. That's hard. That's yep. hard for anybody to feel like they're playing with the weight of the world in every game on their shoulders. He didn't have to deal with that anywhere near as much last year. Yeah, even even Ottawa, the last, you know, one we talked about there, it's 3-1 one at one point, and you think, oh, you know, let my foot off the gas or, or relax a little bit, and all of a sudden, you know, one goal turns into – to all of that, and you, you kind of go back to the next time you're in that situation. If you're Marshall, even if you're Vladar, right? You sit there and go, "I can't, I can't possibly let myself relax or take my foot off the gas for one second because this is what could happen, and a lot of times has happened this year." Well, again, you know, we always have a tendency, and I get why, and for good reason, in part, we always have a tendency to compare this year to last year. Well. I find myself now comparing how this team played, how it looks, and how hard it was to actually the 56-game season the year before last. That's where this season has taken me to. And even if you look at, look at Jacob, I think when Daryl took over, Jacob had to make a huge adjustment to probably, you know, and I've heard Kevin Woodley talk about this, it's also very different for a goalie when you go from being on a team where you're getting, you know, 30 to 35 a night as opposed to maybe 25 to 27. So the way I've looked at Jacob this year reminds me a little more of that than you know, what was a bit of an anomaly for him, but 891 is not 910, which is Mm -hmm. his career average. I think, and I think that place, even if you're just looking at that number, um, is probably a fairer way to judge and assess. Lou, always appreciate the time, sir. We will chat with you at the Sile Dome a little bit later, and we'll uh, break it all down tomorrow. Yeah, Daryl's got a good one tonight. Don't miss... uh, don't miss the coach's show tonight. It's uh, 
It's a good one. Looking forward to it, pal. Talk okay. to you later. Bye-bye. Pete Labardius, the color voice of the Calgary Flames, joins us every single day to kick off the program. He does so. Thank you uh, to our partners uh, with the Gemini Group, the Gemini Group Home Renovations. They know your home renovation should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. Now offering air miles, reward miles. Visit them at thegeminigroup.ca. Our Thursday regular, Adnan Verk is next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Sportsnet Today rolls on. Flames game day. Flames and the Red Wings, part two. Dan Vladar gets the starting goal for the Flames. Rasmus Anderson might, maybe, possibly, could be back in the lineup. Fingers crossed. We'll wait and see. Medically cleared. Was out there for practice. Daryl said, eh, it was kind of a talk with him. Let me talk to him, and uh, we'll, we'll let you know later. So we'll find out a little bit later. But all signs point to the Flames having their number one defenseman back, and that's uh, good news as they look to uh, stop the Red Wings, who have been on a bit of a heater, coming off a shootout win against the Oilers last night. Billy Huso got the start. So we're expecting the Red Wings to go to uh, their number two option tonight. We'll, uh, of course, confirm all of that during Flames' warm-up. Pat Steinberg and Peter Labardius have your warm-up. 6 o'clock tonight right here on Sportsnet 960. I had a puck drop with Wills and Labardius at 7. But it's also a Thursday. Time to uh, go down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline. Welcome in our Thursday regular from MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. We say hello to Adnan Verk on this Thursday. Verk, how are you, pal? I'm doing great, Logo. How you doing? We're doing really good, man. And uh, look, I, I I did my best. I cheered for your team in every way, shape, or form that I could. Uh, I had a great feeling after that opening drive touchdown, but they just couldn't get a stop when they needed it. And your Eagles were oh so close to another Super Bowl title. Now you nailed it, man. It was the defense that let us down. And yes, I'm upset about the Bradbury call, but that's not why they lost. They didn't win the Super Bowl because they had a 10-point lead at the half and couldn't hold it. And the defense not only allowed Mahomes to slice and dice, but our special teams were just terrible all season. A critical punt return set up at the five. I mean, that just can't happen. Like, you've got to be better able to execute in moments like that. And the Chiefs gave us some gifts. I mean, that Butker missed field goal, that's three points. Um, the fact that we barely let Mahomes touch the ball. I mean, the first half, they hit the ball two minutes in the second quarter. I mean, it was... That first half could not have gone better for Philadelphia. As you said, from the first half opening, first drive opening touchdown to the way we kept the time possession, even the Hurts fumble. Now, that is six points. Normally, a turnover doesn't cost you six points. It's a bad turnover, but he played his heart out. Like, Hurts, he played the game of his life in the Super Bowl, 24 years of age. That's what gives me the most solace that the Eagles will be back because we have a quarterback over the next 10 years I think can legitimately be great. And, and I've said on record, he has surpassed my expectations. When they drafted him, I said, this doesn't make sense. He's like a backup quarterback, wildcat thing. What's going on? Eventually, Wentz's star dimmed. Uh, Hertz became the guy. I never thought he'd ascend to this level. And he's legit. Like He's an outstanding quarterback, and he proved that with his ability to run the ball and, and even those deep throws. I thought that deep pass to A.J. Brown was critical. I said, okay, that proves now he's healthy. The shoulder's back. They can make some plays. But my friend Michael Lombardi, we did the GM shuffle for two years together, as you know, our NFL podcast. And Mike had the single best stat. He said the Eagles gave up 0.71 points per play. He said most NFL teams shoot for between 0.3 and 0.4. 0.71 is egregious. And the fact 
One thing, you can't get a pick. You can't get a fumble. But not a single sack. They had the third most sacks in regular season history, and they could once get a hand on Mahomes. And Mike had said to me, he goes, if it's three Mississippi, the Eagles win. If it's five Mississippi, the Chiefs win. Meaning, quite simply, if he's got time to throw the ball, they're going to win. And that is exactly what happened. Quick thought on the Bradbury call. Yeah, it's questionable. It's a ticky-tack call. They didn't call any holding calls the whole game. But I thought Bradbury was very classy. saying, you know what? It was a hold. I held him. That's it. Sirianni, same thing. And who knows what would have happened, right? That was a third and eight. Chiefs kick a field goal. Minute 48 left, two timeouts. Maybe Hurts gets the field goal and we tie it. Maybe we're going to touch it and we win it. But I don't play the what-if game, Logan. I play the game of what actually I saw on the field, and they didn't play defense nearly well enough to win that game. No, and it's not their fault because this affected both sides, but that turf was such a disaster for both. I mean, Hurts and Mahomes. I, I don't know what that game actually looks like if either pass rush could get any sort of footing because Hassan Reddick got taken out of the game. Chris Jones got taken out of the game for large parts of it. The NFL, for all the, the hype that they wanted to come out, and we, we got a PGA Tour guy, and we spent $800,000 on this turf making sure it was perfect. It was a joke for the biggest game of the year. Oh, that man, that field. And you know, I kept saying, like, when I think of certain teams, I always see you think offense, defense. Meaning, if I see the 49ers, I always think of offense, right? I think of Montana and Rice and Steve Young. If I think of the Bears, I think of defense. I think of the 85 Bears, I go back to Dick Butkus. When I see the Eagles, I know people would think offense because of Cunningham and McNabb and Michael Vick and now Hurts. Mm. I really do think of defense because. My fandom stemmed from the 1990s. Those great buddy line defenses of Reggie White, Jerome Bound, Seth Joy, Eric Al, et cetera. And I kept thinking, if Philadelphia wins this game, it's going to be behind this defense. Like I knew Hurts are going to play well. Brown and Smith, two great receivers. Goddard, excellent tight end. Three pro bowlers on that offensive line, and they were tremendous. Especially, did you have any doubt a third and short or a fourth and short? They would get a first down every single time. That's how good that offensive line is. But defensively, you said the name that I kept saying, if they win, he's going to step up, and that's Hassan Reddick. He did nothing. He had 19 and a half sacks in the regular season of the playoffs. I think he had two quarterback pressures. Like, that's shocking. And, and I'm with you. It impacted both teams, but certainly impacted Philly's defense. I looked at the stat line. Only Javon Hargrave did anything. I think he had, like, five tackles. Fletcher Cox, non-factor. Brandon Graham, non-factor. Josh Sweat, non-factor. I mean, that vaunted Eagles pass rush did nothing. And if you're not going to get Mahomes – beat up a little bit, even when, when they looked like he re-injured his ankle, right? Yeah. He goes at the half and yeah. shoot him up, whatever, retake, but he was ready to go. And that, that felt pretty important, too. When the Chiefs came out in the beginning of the second half and scored that touchdown, that's when you knew it was game on. And you felt like Philly, even though they were leading at 24-21, they're going to have to score 40 to win this game because Mahomes is back. Yeah, when he gets into that, that rhythm, it just doesn't seem to matter what the other side does because you just kind of know – they're going to find a way to make their way down the field, and if it isn't six, it's going to wind up with a Butker field goal, and that's just kind of the mode that they got back into last night, or on Sunday, I should say. And it's it's tough when because that's what that team does. As I know as a Chargers fan, how often I see when they get into that momentum, they are damn hard to stop, especially when they've had two weeks to pick apart your defense and to find ways for Travis. I mean, everybody's trying to cover Travis Kelsey. Like you, It's not news that this guy is good. But it shows you how good Mahomes and Reed are and Eric Bieniemy at finding new ways to get him open because he does it every single game. And you know defenses, especially this year, were keying on that guy. You still couldn't stop him. You nailed it. And that's why I was so mad in the first quarter because Kelsey went off. And I go, for God's sakes, 
If they're going to beat us, you can't let Kelsey beat you. You've got to double-team him. But you're right. Everyone knows that. Of course, everyone knows you have to stop Kelsey. But it's the way that Reed and Biennemi, you know, disguise their offense. And by the way, Kelsey was quiet in the second half. And what happened? It didn't matter. They got the other guys involved. Juju Smith-Schuster, Valdez Scaling, and all the rest of it. And the Goathorns, clearly for the Eagles, go to defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon. Good riddance. Now that he's a head coach of the Cardinals, you know, that was a high school defense. And, and it's okay to get beat up early, right? It's okay to give him a couple touchdowns. But what was inexcusable was there was no adjustments. Mm-hmm. Like when, when, once you realize you're not putting in pressure on Mahomes, well, figure it out. Instead, they just kept rushing forward and playing his own defense. And, and for Mahomes, it was like playing a high school defense. I mean, there was two touchdowns under, you know, within the 10-yard line where the receiver was wide open. How does that happen? If that happens once, it's inexcusable. Twice is appalling. Uh, so for Jonathan Gannon, did not have a good day as defensive coordinator. Now the head coach of the Cardinals. Offensive coordinator Shane Steichen had a great day, and he's now the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. So Eagles lose both coordinators. Thankfully, Nick Sirianni is still the head coach, and I do think he is a good coach and knows what he's doing. And, uh, you know, the cherry on top, your Eagles still pick 10th and 30th in the upcoming draft. So you could have worse, you know, parting gifts for your team than adding two potential top-end talents at your rookie contracts. You know, you draft those well, and then I I could see the Eagles back in this game sooner than later. Yeah, the two first-round picks is hysterical because like, that, that shouldn't work out that way, but somehow it does. <laughs> and I do have confidence to be back for the very reason that the main guys are still there. Like, Hertz is there. A.J. Brown's locked up. Devontae Smith, they've got three running backs, and Sanders, Gainwell, and Scott. little concern, Kelsey might retire. Defense, a couple of guys are going to have to go. Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, older veterans, acquiring conscience, et cetera. But what concerns me is actually winning the game. Like, I think they'll be in the mix again for sure. Like, I think they'll win the NFC East again. But, Art, like, you are not going to have a better path than you had this year. You had a cupcake schedule. You had the Gonzaga schedule. You played nobody in the regular season. You played the Giants, who were a fraudulent playoff team, and you played the Niners with a fourth-string quarterback. Like, yeah. You are never going to have an easier path. All you do is win one game against a less than 100% Patrick Mahomes, and you had a 10-point lead, and you couldn't do it. So now, now it's going to get tough. Now it's no. Now you're playing the Chiefs in the regular season. Now you're going to have to try to prove not only can you beat the Chiefs in the playoffs, potentially the Bengals. Or the Bills, like all those teams to me are formidable. And if you look at the gambling lines, the Eagles right now, fifth best odds to win the Super Bowl, not only behind the three AFC teams I mentioned, but the 49ers as well. I think most people would agree if Trey Lance is is anything near what he should be, if Brock Purdy can be what we saw this year, the Niners are probably the team to beat the NFC. But again, to your point, Philly's in the mix. They won't take too much of a step back. They should win the division. And I think, honestly, it's them or San Francisco right now you feel like will represent the NFC. Uh, last one on the game itself. I'm curious. I've asked a lot of people this this week. Where are you on the Chiefs and the, the dynasty conversation? Yeah, I don't think it's there. I'm kind of amused by people saying it. I'm like, hang on a second. Two does not make a dynasty, right? No. Like I've always thought two is a couple, three is a crowd, and then four is, is no doubter. So to me, hey, two two is nice, especially if, if it was back to back. Like even then, it's not a dynasty. I was just like, hey, that's a great run. You had two great seasons. It's a formidable team, but. Two and four certainly isn't. I'm like, wait, you lost one of the Super Bowls and you won two. So you've already shown that you were susceptible to, to, to not being as great as you think. Like, I think dynasties, I think the Steelers in the 70s, I think the uh, 49ers in the 80s, the Cowboys in the 90s, I think the Patriots, obviously. Like, those to me are dynasties. This is not a dynastic problem. There's only two. You've got to win three. If they win the Super Bowl next year, you go three and five, yes, you could have a conversation for dynasty. Three Super Bowl wins and four appearances in five years, that to me would qualify. But not right now, not yet. Where did you uh, wind up watching the game Sunday? 
Yeah, so funny enough, I took three of my boys, the other guys, 14, 11, and 6. My four-year-old sitting at home with my wife, and I said, okay, let's go to that Philadelphia-style restaurant in New York City, 45-minute drive. It's called Old Town Cheesesteaks, whatever. We go there, and I don't know if I'm sure you've had this feeling. You walk into a place, and you know immediately you're in the wrong place. It's like Eddie Murphy in the Redneck Bar in 48 hours. I walk in, and it, and, and it wasn't too rowdy yet. It was 2.30. You know, there's a bunch of people just quietly having drinks, you know, watching the games, whatever, about college basketball is on, I think, or NBA. A lot of guys wearing the Reggie White jerseys, Cunningham jerseys. But the bouncer took one look at me and my kids and goes, nobody here allowed under the age of 21. And I'm like, all right, I'm the guy that brought a six-year-old to a restaurant slash bar. And my, and my 11-year-old, of course, right away goes, well, can I still use the bathroom? I'm like, okay, go use the bathroom. All right, fine. So they, they both used the bathroom. Then my eldest was sitting in the car. I said, okay, make sure you can like, New York Park here. Just hang on a second. Then we kind of like, I tell him, hey, listen, buddy, sorry, it's not going to work out. Well, can I use the bathroom? Yeah, fine, go use the bathroom. Great. And then we took a quick vote. I said, there's another place in front of the kids are allowed. A very similar establishment. Yeah. Philadelphia off your style. Do you guys want to go there, or do you want to just get 99-cent pizza and go home? Unanimous vote, absolute route, 99-cent pizza, which is two large cheese pizzas, eight bucks each, oh. a couple of root beers and a Pepsi for $20. Kids didn't hesitate. 99-cent pizza and drinks. We were home by 4 o'clock. I watched the pregame, watched the game. It was great. Yeah, that's the one thing I missed out on when I went to New York a couple of years ago. Is I never, I never made a stop at a at a ninety nine cent pizza joint, and I've uh, I've regretted it to this day. And man, didn't your kids do you a favor and saved you money for once? Big time. I kept thinking of that after. Like, listen, the parking alone is going to be twenty bucks. That's the price of the <laughs> ninety nine cent pizza and drinks. Plus, never talking cheese sticks, drinks, et cetera. But you know, at that age, they just weren't having it. Like, if you're shut down at the first place, like, buddy, we're not going all night here. We're going back home. We got iPads. We got video game consoles, and we can watch the game. Why wouldn't we just watch it at home? I'm like, all right, lesson learned. Uh, a couple other things to chat with you today: uh, Adnan Verk from MLB Network, NHL Network, and of course the Cinephile Podcast. Uh, you had uh, our pal uh, Elliot Friedman on NHL Network a little earlier this week, and you guys were uh, breaking down some of the trade chips going around the NHL right now, and the new term that's uh, a buzz around the NHL: Verk uh, trade related. Uh, reasonings for scratchings of Gavrikov and Chikrin coming up on a week for both of these teams, and they still haven't uh, pulled the trigger on a deal. It's kind of an interesting way to to handle your assets at this time of the year. Yeah, Frazier is great in breaking it down. We just have Bruce Boudreaux, of course, the uh, former Canucks head coach. He's now back with us on NHL Network, and I worked with him last week. And he said to me, I don't understand the rush to trade Chikrin. This guy is so good. He's so self-defensively. Eventually, you are going to contend. Can't you keep him? So I asked Frazier, that very same question, and Elliot said, but they're not going to be good the next couple of years. So he's got two more years at this very affordable captain. I think it's $4.8 million, and he's a rock-salt defensive. Like, trade him now. He's like, you are going to get great value for him three years from now. You're going to have to pay him, like, you know, $8 million a year. They don't want to do that. So that's why Chickwin's a no-brainer wherever he goes. And like you said, the fact he's out of the lineup, I was with Devin Dubnik and Scott Hartnell earlier this week, and they said, you don't know how awkward that is. Like, you literally still see the guy. He's on the team. Yeah. And he can't play for fear of being hurt. So, like, all right, dude, good thing. You're like, sooner or later, you're going to go. And he goes, and if you're on a road trip, you're taking all your stuff. Because at any point, you could get traded. So, he goes, a lot of guys have, like, one suitcase. You're walking around with four suitcases knowing your time is coming to an end. You are not going to be in Columbus much longer if you're Gavrikov or Chikrin if you're a member of the Coyotes. So, it's, it's certainly awkward for the players right now. Both those guys really good defensemen. Chikrin, obviously, is, is a stud. Gavrikov's always good. You look at his numbers. He's, he's okay offensively. with solid defensive. He'll play you. 
21 minutes tonight. It's really important for Columbus, and everybody always wants a defenseman at this point of the year. You know that. It's like in baseball. Every trade deadline, it will always take another bullpen arm, right? Whoever will get another bullpen arm. You can always solidify that area. So defense is always important. I think it's interesting as far as the bigger names. Eric Carlson. Freed said it isn't a certainty he's going to go. Because I said, I said, what about Ottawa? His wife's from Ottawa, ties there. He said, yeah, it could have happened. Edmonton's the one that's getting more steam right now. Which can you imagine a three-on-three of Drysdale, McDavid, and Carlson is just ridiculous. But but Elliot didn't say it's a foregone conclusion that he is going to go, even though it's a ten and a half million dollar cap hit, three more years left. You've got to think Sinos would like to unload him now. He's on pace for 111 points. You're never going to get more value for Carlson right now. But they still have to eat some of the money in that contract. Timo Myers going to go somewhere as well. Of course, Sharks are going to deal him. Uh, and the one that's interesting is also with Patrick Kane. I mean, he's he's not had good numbers this year, as you know. He's he's on pace for 55 points. And yep. I think a lot of that is. You're on a Chicago Blackhawks team, which stinks. You know, the other day, he even said, oh, look at Kirby Doc. Wow, what a surprise. He's blossomed right after he left us. So, you know, he clearly knows his time is coming to an end. He hasn't been happy with Chicago this year. I still think he's effective and solid. Maybe it's just because I'm here in Jersey, as you know, close to New York. I thought the Rangers made a lot of sense. I said, wow, Patrick King on Broadway, big-time player. That'll work. But instead, they got Tarasenko, and we've seen how good his chemistry has been with Panarin. So, New York is obviously very happy making that trip with St. Louis. So, We'll see what happens with Kane. Now, Kevin Weeks, we know, is locked in as well, my buddy. He's, yep. He knows all this stuff. He said he feels like Patrick Kane, Dallas or Vegas. And I think Dallas particularly, God, I mean, Dallas is a really good team. You put Kane on that team, watch out. Vegas still still a good team as well, but I think Stars and Kane sounds like a match made in heaven. Yeah, the Kane one was so interesting to me because uh, after that trade from Tarasenko, I can't remember the last time a guy, Adnan, was so upfront with with media and just being like, yeah, that I saw that trade and I was kind of, ticked off about it. I was kind of disappointed that they went out and, and traded for him instead of me. Like that's, that's a guy literally being like, yeah, I would have loved to have gone to New York, but they chose Tarasenko instead of me. And I'm, I'm not all that happy about it. That's a pretty wild thing for a guy like who has all that, you know, cachet and all that history in Chicago to come out and say that that's how badly he wanted to go to New York. Uh, you're reading my brain. Cause I was doing an HL network earlier in the week. And they said to me on the Tarasenko trade, we have Kane sound. I did a double take, and I go, what? what? Yeah. And they go, on the terrorist thing, I go, why is he commenting on another team's show? What does he care? Yeah. Like he's not. They go, well, wait till you hear what he has to say. And you're right. He basically said, I'm disappointed. I want to go to New York. I said, that is wild to me. I couldn't imagine. Claude Giroux last year gets traded by the Flyers, and all of a sudden they're getting Connor McDavid's opinion. Like, well, like what, what do you care? Like, what, like, it was yeah. so funny to me that Kane decided to weigh in with that. But, yeah, I like the transparency. I like the honesty. And, and I get it. Like, I think New York, I look at their, their top two lines now. You, like their kid line at Hedl Lafreniere has been pretty good as their third line, but now all of a sudden, when you add Tarasenko into that like top mix, like you've got some guys now obviously that can play, and especially when Panarin, their chemistry, they want to you know World Juniors together back in 2011. Zabinajad up front as a stud, Adam and Kreider, like the Rangers are pretty good now. Uh, and before I let you go here, I got to ask you about uh, something really cool you guys are doing on MLB Network tonight. Uh, you filmed a segment uh, with longtime and, and fantastic MLB exec. Uh, Theo Epstein discussing all of the new rules coming into baseball uh, in the 2023 season. We've seen pitchers and catchers start to report across the league, and we're like less than 10 days away from spring training baseball. Tell me about this uh, this piece that you guys put together uh, with Theo Epstein and how cool it was to have someone like him break all these things down uh, rule by rule. Yeah, I was pumped, man. I got the call from my boss a few weeks ago. Listen, Theo's coming to the building. We want you to host this special. Like, I can't wait. So. It's going to be airing tonight, 7 o'clock Eastern, MLB Network. And 
He was awesome. I never met him before, but I was saying to my producer, I said, this is the greatest baseball executive of our lifetime, arguably ever since Branch Rickey, who brought in Jackie Robinson to the game. He said, yeah, I go, this guy broke the curse in Boston and in Chicago, so it was great to meet him. Uh, he's still as youthful as you'd expect, young guy, trim as ever. And the first shock I had, because my thing is always this, I never want to wear a tie. I'm sure you're with me on this. So I'm always challenging the producer, depending on the show, do we have to wear ties? So I said, there's no way we're going to wear a tie, right? Theo, I've never once pictured him wearing a tie. And when I walked in, I met him. He was wearing a tie. I said, are you kidding me? He said, what? I go, you are not a tie. Guy. What are you wearing a tie? You're going to take that off. And he started laughing. He goes, yeah, you're right. Ted Williams is my hero. Ted Williams famously never wore a tie. I said, Theo, we're not wearing ties. And I told the producer, we're not wearing ties. He goes, all right. And I said, and I, you'll see tonight on the air. I joked at the I said, it's bad for your brand. Come on, man. People know you as a young guy in his 40s. You love Pearl Jam. You love to jam out. You play the guitar. So he said, I don't know if I have much of a brand. I said, no, you have a brand. You're Theo Epstein, the wonder kid, at least in my eyes. So no ties on this show. But he was um, really passionate and uh, well-spoken on all the issues. I mean, listen, this guy's about as smart as it gets. So if he thinks these rule changes are going to help baseball, I'm all for it, particularly the two big ones, the pitch clock and the shift. And he explained how, you know, in many ways, he was a part of the brass that was responsible for these issues. The fact that there is too much shifting. It took away from the visceral, enjoyable aspects of the game. Mm-hmm. Now the shift will be outlawed. You'll get more hits. You'll get more offense. It'll look more like the baseball when I played when we were kids. And the pitch clock is going to be enormous. Theo said to me, listen, games average three hours and five minutes. The pitch clock has proven a minimum of 20 minutes off that, maybe even 30. So right wow. now, a hockey game's two and a half hours. Basketball is 220, 230. Baseball's 305. If you tell me baseball is on a 245, or even two and a hook, like that, that's amazing to think. You can sit down and go, 7.05 Eastern, first pitch, Blue Jays, Yankees, and the game's over by 10. I mean, that, that would be tremendous. Uh, and last but certainly not least, uh, we were uh, on each other uh, this Thursday, or su- Sunday night, I should say, when this was uh, when this was coming down. And uh, I, it was for me, it was the best Super Bowl commercial. It wasn't really close. Uh, I thought the Breaking Bad spot took the, uh, took the title for best commercial. Uh, at this year's Super Bowl, you guys talked about it on the Cinephile podcast uh, yesterday, I believe. Uh, were there any yeah. other ones that stood out to you, good or bad? No, I was just happy to see Michael Keaton back in The Flash, so that's going to be unbelievable. Yes. I was playing Batman, and Affleck's playing Batman, and then Ezra Miller and Louis, so that's going to be wild. And, of course, you know, I love Michael Shannon. He's playing General Zod, so that's going to be tremendous opening June 16th. But I'm with you. I'm, I, I tweeted it. You tweeted it immediately. Me, I said, are you kidding me? Anything involving Heisenberg, I am all in on. And seeing Cranston and Aaron Paul together was great. Um, I thought the Affleck commercial was kind of funny. Him and Jay were obviously working the drive-thru, which Letterman used to do back in the day. Overall, I didn't think the commercials were great this year. Didn't think Rihanna was a great halftime performance, but uh, Breaking Bad forever, man. I thought those guys were great. Uh, make sure you check it out uh, wherever you get your podcast, Cinephile Podcast uh, with Adnan Verk and company on uh, the latest edition out yesterday. Verk, you're the best, man. Always appreciate the time. We'll chat with you again next week, eh? Logo, you too. I appreciate you, brother. Talk soon. Talk soon. Ed Denver joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, guest hotline, MLB Network, NHL Network, and, of course, the Cinephile Podcast. You can find them on Twitter at Adnan S. Verk, and make sure you check out that MLB Network feature tonight if you're looking for a new way to kind of get some insight on what the rule changes are going to look like. Uh, Theo Epstein, longtime MLB exec, uh, joined Adnan and Tom Verducci on MLB Network to uh, give you a real in-depth rule-by-rule change and how it's going to affect play this year. Some really cool stuff on there. If you want uh, links or all that stuff, you can find that on Verk's Twitter, at Adnan S. Verk. We'll take a break, come back on the other side, kick off hour two, head back to the Saddle Dome. 
Hear from a couple of members of the Calgary Flames ahead of their matchup against the Detroit Red Wings, starting with head coach Daryl Sutter. That's around the corner here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.